Radioactive plugs you into the community weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones, and your support means Radioactive can keep passing the mic to people and nonprofits making a difference, like the ACLU of Utah. We are participating in the Women's March because as an organization, we have a lengthy history of defending reproductive freedoms throughout the United States. Radiothon starts October 29th. Help us to keep plugging you into the community by making your donation online at krcl.org. I was hanging on a cross I was dying to make it back to Colorado Come on, Utah, Shovels and Rope on KRCL 90.9, and welcome to Shovels and Rope Day. <laughs> They're playing tonight at the Commonwealth Room. I'm Laura Jones, and that song's starting off radioactive this evening. We're going to plug you into your community with conversation and a playlist to match. Coming up, artist Jorge Arellano. Earlier this week, Visit Salt Lake unveiled its West of Conventional Mural Tour, featuring commissioned works of art by local artists, including Jorge, to enliven Salt Lake's neighborhoods. You may remember that Jorge designed the Seeds of Anarchy t-shirt for the punk rock farmer. He's just one of ten artists whose murals are now part of Salt Lake City's landscape. I visited him earlier this week to learn more. I'll have another installment of Meet the DJ, this time Steve Ravetti, host of World Village, Saturday nights from 7 to 9 on KRCL. We start tonight by checking in with two people organizing and hosting Tell the Story, the 2021 annual Day of Remembrance celebration and Black History Conference going on this weekend at Fort Douglas on the University of Utah campus. Hi, my name is Robert Birch. I am the executive director of Semi Hadithi African American Heritage and Culture Foundation. And just so you know, Semi Hadithi means tell the story, and we're working to tell the stories of the Black people of Utah. Uh, this weekend, we have our Day of Remembrance and Black History Conference coming up. My name is Elijah Garfield. I am the director of the Black Cultural Center here at the University of Utah. And I am a proud partner and uh, sponsor of some spaces for this conference. <laughs> Great. So good to see both of you on, even if it's only on Zoom. So thank you for giving us some time. Last week, I shared part of a conversation held on campus at the University of Utah by Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion called Inclusive Histories Matter. And it just so happens that a week later, your conference is happening, Robert and Malaysia. And maybe we could start there. Malaysia, let's start with you as director of the Utah Black Cultural Center and uh, getting that organization going during COVID, um, uh, having a seat at the table, putting more seats at the table, being able to mark stories is huge huge, uh, I think, for for Utah, especially when it comes to Black stories in Utah. I I think this is very important, um, and this is great. I know uh, Robert has put on this conference um, in the past as well, and I think it is very important that this is, uh, you know, this is here in Utah, uh, because it goes back to, I I think, history. The the whole picture of history needs to be told. and how we interact with those of the past, as well as just the past of this country and just the past of even here locally in Utah, um, Black history and and the importance in that 
Black people all over the globe, including Utah, here in the state of Utah, we've made some contributions and um, grand impacts um, on, you know, here in the state itself. Robert Samahadithi, part of your, your tagline is tell the story, unity through historical truth, discovering, preserving, and presenting the stories of Blacks in Utah since 1822. And uh, that's uh, as far back, I think, as you've been able to document a, a, uh, a Black person in the Beehive State, predating statehood. Yes, right. Well, back when it was considered the Utah Territory, which would have included Idaho, uh, parts of uh, Wyoming and places like that. Um, but <clears throat> there are explorers coming out here long before settlement. And, and part of those explorers were uh, African-American men and women. So yes, our story in the Utah Territory goes back to 1822, uh, leading to some mountain men and uh, trappers and other settlers who stayed here. Folks who were seeking freedom and found it in the West. Oh, most definitely. Uh, they didn't necessarily find the equality that they were looking for, but they definitely did not find the conditions that they had in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina. Uh, and, and being out here in, a, in the frontier where there were not many like people, especially that same language, uh, white or black, you became dependent on each other because... Uh, uh, you were out here in a place where there were a uh, few that were like you. And so you really depended on each other. Mm. For most of human history, it's the victors who write the history books, yes. who tell the tales. And in our current era, especially with social media, we're able to gather, uh, crowdsource even, and uh, archive stories. And I understand from our previous conversations, you have all these working groups. So who's presenting? Give us kind of the rundown of what to expect at the conference this weekend and what you're really looking forward to, Robert. Okay, we're having uh, quite a bit of activity this weekend. Friday evening is the day of remembrance and we will have actually a video uh, that's gonna talk about how Simi Hadithi was founded, uh, following which we will have a message from Pastor uh, Robert Merrill about families and the importance of family and history. Uh, on Saturday, we will start on the, at the uh, Saturday morning, we will be at Fort Douglas uh, side of the parade ground here at the University of Utah, and we will have some uh, uh, some opening speakers and a tour of the museum to let us see some of the uh, Buffalo Soldier exhibits and information and books that they have about Buffalo Soldiers that were stationed here at Fort Douglas, as well as Fort Duchesne, down in Verner, in the Uinta Basin, in Wyoming, Montana. Those guys served all over this area because, like I said, it was the Utah Territory back then. Well, and describe for our listeners who may not be familiar with the story of Buffalo Soldiers, who they were. I mean, I've seen pictures of them marching down, you know, Salt Lake's Main Street from yeah. uh, history books. Yes, well, when, when they initially arrived here in Utah, they arrived at Fort Duchesne. Actually, they didn't arrive at Fort Duchesne. They built Fort Duchesne. So the Buffalo Soldiers was an uh, all-Black Corps of uh, uh, infantry and uh, cavalry that were stationed here for the protection of the settlers, uh, particularly up in the Uinta Basin and around the Duchesne area. Uh, so gradually that fort uh, dissipated and many of those soldiers end up being moved here to Fort Douglas. 
uh, where uh, uh, they served for a number of years, which inevitably led them into Salt Lake City. So uh, the relationship was kind of tenuous with Salt Lake City at first, but as they got to know the soldiers, there have been a number of articles written about the, the, the honorable nature of those soldiers who served here at Fort Douglas. One of them in particular, you'll have a presentation on, I understand. Yes, uh, the first graduate of West Point was uh, Charles Young. And I, I think they actually did a movie on him back in the 50s or 60s. But he was the first black graduate of West Point. And he served here as a, a commanding officer, not officer of the fort, but as a commander here at Fort Douglas and in other parts of the West. This is one of the many presentations this weekend at the Sam Hadithi yeah. conference. You also have your Black Women Working Group uh, offering some presentations. Uh, Women's Social and Uplift Clubs and Emancipation Day Queens, just a few of the topics you'll be sharing reports on during the conference. Anything you want to highlight there? Well, uh, particularly, we, we, I met a, a lady a few months ago who said, Really, they had Emancipation Day celebrations in Utah back then <laughs> because she's from Texas and she believed that the only people in the country back then that were celebrating it were the people from Texas. But I explained to her that with such, such close proximity, of course, they would be celebrating it here. So we have uh, several uh, celebration uh, queens uh, like Elnora Dudley, I believe, was 18 and 97. And I'm sorry, I can't remember the other ladies from the 1800s right now, but Elnora Dudley. Okay, folks just need to come and see the presentation. Yes. Another group, uh, working group, is the Black Church Working Group and the Lynching Project. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before, that uh, many Utahns aren't aware that lynchings happened in Utah. Um, and not that long ago in our history, when you look at, at the timeline. But uh, Connell O'Donovan, a historian, is going to present a particular case during the conference. Which one is that? That is on Thomas Coleman. Uh, Thomas Coleman uh, had pretty much, he came here in, in Utah as a slave. And once he gained his freedom, he had a, a pretty rough go of it in, here in Utah. And uh, unfortunately, he uh, ran into the wrong group of uh, a gentleman that didn't appreciate his race. And so, and uh, Connell would go into pretty good detail about how that lynching occurred and where his body was found. And that's actually kind of uh, attached to our Equal Justice Initiative lynching project out of Montgomery, Alabama, if you guys are aware of that, where uh, they're, they're going county by county these days and accounting for the lynchings in each county. So our coalition for Salt Lake County is the Salt Lake County Community Remembrance Project. And this is a basically our lead off into talking about those lynchings and other social justice issues here in Utah. Well, and, and Thomas, was lynched on Arsenal Hill, which is side of the Utah State Capitol. So this is part of Utah history, and that is the goal of Sema Hadithi to tell the story. Annual Day of Remembrance Celebration and Black History Conference, Friday and Saturday. And Malaysia Garfield from the U of U's Black Cultural Center. These stories, it's an interesting marriage here of the university community and the broader community. I'm just curious, um, as you tell your students that you you see on a regular basis now about this conference and these stories, I'm guessing there's some surprise there, regardless of the race of the students, about this history here in Utah. Yes, uh, 
<laughs> definitely surprised. Um, I've actually got some questions today from some students like, oh, there's a conference going on uh, on Black history in Utah. What? What Black history? Uh, I was like, there's a lot. There's a lot that has happened across the country, including in places such as Utah. Uh, Black people have, we've been in several places around the country um, that you may not even know. Um, and so I kind of just tell students to be, you know, read up a little bit. And that's why we have like a little community library in our center to make sure that they at least get a little bit of knowledge, but then to partake in events like this, um, this weekend, where they can learn some more about uh, history. There's a lot of, there's a lot of prevalent history. And I think, especially today, we make history kind of political, like, oh, this shouldn't be taught or that should be taught and this, this and that. But I think it's very important. Um, it's very important to kind of have that aspect and making sure that all histories are told and particularly the histories um, in the spirit of the Black, in the spirit of the Black Cultural Center that Black history is told um, here locally that about Black history in Utah. But yeah. How's the semester going on campus with the tragic case of, of Aaron Lowe? Uh, an arrest has been made in that in that murder. But uh, I'm guessing the Black Cultural Center has had a lot of folks turning to it during this time. Uh, yes, a lot of people uh, have come and turned in. It's it's heavy right now, I would say. Um, we're dealing with several different things. I guess right now is just how do we, as a community, deal with the crises? And from there, continue the conversation around this crisis, but then on top of that, understand that we lost a student. Um, and it is not, that is not a good thing. Um, and so how do we as a community kind of uplift those um, that may be grieving or just feeling heavy right now? Um, and so, yeah, we provide a number of services um, and try to make sure that students feel welcome. Yeah. How can our listeners support the Black Cultural Center any time uh, of year, but particularly now? Yeah, um, how you can support the Black Cultural Center. So, you know, we have a program called Operation Success, powered by the George Floyd Memorial Fund um, that was established last year, which we want to develop uh, leadership here in the Black Cultural Center that are tackling issues around Blackness, whether it be here locally, globally, international, um, or in the nation, uh, nationally. Um, and so they can always donate to that uh, program, which provides direct scholarships to students. Um, and you can follow, kind of get more information at the UV, uh, diversity.utah.edu slash bcc slash success and you'll get more information we'll be sure to put a link in tonight's show notes for folks to catch up on that as well as the conference robert exciting to see it come together this year especially with the launch of sema haditi yes and we're we're really grateful for the university of utah you, you we have a couple of professors that are on our board from the university of utah as well as have Malaysia here to help us with, you know, the, the ability to get space to have a conference. And so we're, we're really, we're really fortunate this year and really thankful for the U of U for what they've helped provide for us to be able to do this this year. Now, as I understand, the conference doesn't cost anything, but you do need to register. So yes. folks know who's coming, where can they do that? Uh, you can go to simahadithi.org slash events. That's S-E-M-A-H-A-D-I-T-H-I dot org slash events and register. We'll be sure to put a link in the show notes for that as well. Robert and Malaysia, thank you so much. 
And before I let you go, I always ask my guests if there's a song they'd like to go out with, maybe dedicate to the community or reflect upon what we've been talking about. The first song that came to my mind was Bob Marley, Buffalo Soldiers. Robert Birch of Sema Hadithi, African-American Heritage and Culture Foundation, and Malaysia Garfield of the U of U's Black Cultural Center. Check tonight's show notes for a link to Tell the Story, the 2021 Annual Day of Remembrance Celebration and Black History Conference going on this weekend at Fort Douglas. And as requested by Robert Birch, Bob Marley, two days in a row, folks, on Radioactive. This one is Buffalo Soldier on KRCL. New census data is out, and it's that once-in-a-decade time to redraw political boundaries. Find interactive tools and a schedule of public hearings online at uirc.utah.gov. This is Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Artist Jorge Arellano just finished a new mural as part of the Visit Salt Lake West of Conventional Mural Tour. In partnership with the Utah Arts Alliance, Visit Salt Lake commissioned 10 new murals, including Jorge's, which is over at the Salt Lake City Center for Science Education in Rose Park. I had a chance to visit him there earlier this week to find out more. This is a mural that I did with a collaboration with the students and the teachers from the school. So it's a feedback and input from the, from the neighbor, neighbors here at the Rose Park neighborhood. So when I moved to the U.S., I'm from Mexico. I'm from South Mexico in Guerrero. Um, I grew up in Mexico City, and then I moved here in 95. Okay. So Rosberg was the first neighborhood uh, that I lived in when I moved to the U.S. You do a lot of symbolism in here. Can you kind of walk us through what you got? Yeah, for sure. So the symbolisms represent, uh, as I said, their input. The kids were talking. Uh, they had a, an assignment. They were interviewing people around the neighborhood for a few days. And then they came up with this input. That, and they wanted to represent immigra- uh, migration, migration to the neighborhood, the Hispanic culture, some of the foods that we eat on our, on our cultures, I'm a Hispanic uh, as well. Uh, the water represents the Jordan River, the roses, of course, the neighborhood of Ross Park, and we have some uh, Polynesian symbolisms that represent their culture as well. I understand that the uh, girl in the center of this is a real person. It is. Uh, she's a young girl. She's uh, like nine, nine years old. And uh, she's uh, a girl, it's, it's a half a Polynesian, half Hispanic girl. Uh, pretty young, and her parents are, are young as well, like mid, mid-20s. mid uh, So I thought I would be the perfect model when I, I asked them to, for permission, you know. And then tell us about the butterflies. Yeah, the butterflies, they 100% represent migration. Uh, this neighborhood has been uh, pretty much receiving a lot of migrants through the years. And I usually used to live here, like, in the mid-90s. And I remember this was my first... Uh, neighborhood when I moved to the U.S. So they just represent that freedom and represent uh, migration. But they're also painted at the height that the kids around this neighborhood and at the school can get selfies in front of them. Uh, that's correct. So I try to I ask a couple of the kids, can you come over like average size, you know, say so like I'm going to do it at their height so they can take pictures in front of them. And there's corn I see as well. Yeah, the corn, it's basically a, a food that uh, represents the Hispanic uh, people, you know, like we we are really, it's one of the main uh, food that we eat in there, so, in the South. So this mural feels really personal, not only to you as the artist, but to this neighborhood and the school. Yeah, so I like to say that um, the mural just represents pretty much all the hard work that the students did. 
I use my hands. Um, it touches me because it has a lot of uh, relations with uh, the way how I came to this country. And so I feel like uh, I was part of that wave in the 90s. Uh, when they came up and uh, they told me about this, uh, these stories with the neighbors, then uh, I just felt like it was something like personal, you know, like represented like the, sorry, like the, the same story that I had when I came here. Yeah, and real people. Yeah. Thanks. Anything else you want to say about bringing this to life? Uh, well, this um, mural was done because uh, I got invited by the Youth Arts Alliance. I'd done uh, other, other works for them in the past and I was really happy when they called me. I was actually down in Mexico uh, when I got the news. I said like, you know, let's do it. I, I painted already here last year inside the school. I know, what was that? A smaller mural for the for the Dark Skies uh, class. Uh, that was a mural with uh, Josh Schumer. So the Youth Arts Alliance invited me this time and uh, said, of course, I would love to do it, you know. Especially in Rosberg. I never done anything down here in Rosberg. And um, for me, it was, uh, was a great challenge, but also a good experience to be able to come back here and meet with the people, the neighbors. Uh, the visit Salt Lake uh, branding, you know, they, they came up with some of the ideas with the crystals. So that was uh, kind of like nice to have that reference and be able to think about putting all those patterns inside the, the crystals. Well, it's beautiful work. Congratulations. What do you have coming up next? You got any other? Uh, I do have a mural. I actually have a friend that uh, passed uh, recently, and he was uh, in charge of an anarchist library down in Mexico City, a big influence for a lot of the anarchists down there. And I, What's his name? His name is Toby. I'll just go by Toby. That's his. his um, everybody knows Toby by that name. And um, so he passed from, from COVID. It was a really tragic uh, lost and we're just going to paint a mural honor him um, all his work and something to send to his family and that one is going to be painted uh, somewhere in downtown i'm still working for a wall but it should be done in the next couple weeks artist jorge ariano earlier this week at the salt lake city center for science education in rose park where his latest mural was unveiled check tonight's show notes for a link to the new west of conventional mural tour from Visit Salt Lake and the Utah Arts Alliance. You can sign up and get a text message to take the tour and, you know, possibly win prizes. Visit Salt Lake, of course, promotes Salt Lake as a convention and travel destination to draw folks from outside of Utah in, but I really appreciate their efforts with the mural tour to support local artists and neighborhoods. Other artists in the mural tour include Tracy Overy covey Shay Peterson, Josh Sherman, Jimmy Toro, Chris Peterson, Miriam Gutierrez, Matt Monsoon, Bill Lewis, and Jerry Swanson. I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive. It's time for another installment of Meet the DJ. This time I'm going to talk to Steve Rivetti, host of World Village, who sent me this next song to get us started. Yossi Fine and Prince Nana and Soma. Yossi Fine is a, an Israeli bassist in Tel Aviv, and he works with a lot of uh, African artists and so it goes down into like Ghana and records like in their homes with like famous Kora players, like these really, really famous virtuosos in Africa. And so this album I really love, and it came out in about 2016. So here's the World Village theme song Steve starts every show with. It is Africa, Prince Nana on KRCL.
My name is Stephen Rivetti, and I host World Village on Saturdays from 7 to 9 p.m. So what's the story behind the show title? The show title, well, I actually inherited the show title from Edumont when I took over his program when he retired. I originally used to do Blood and Fire on Saturday evenings from 10 to midnight, which was another program that I inherited from Alan, Raga Ranks, and uh, I took over that for him and did that program for about four years almost from 10 to midnight and then had the opportunity to take Edumont's spot. And so now I do World Village. I've been a volunteer now for about 10 years at KRCL, almost 10 years. So I started just as a, as a volunteer going out to events, meeting people, all, all the listeners. And, and then I started answering phones for Radiothon and, and that that's kind of how I got started. But I want to say, so for Edumont's show, I can remember that date because it was on St. Patrick's Day. So that's an easy day. I have to have like hallmark dates like they like my anniversary has to be a day, you know, like I can remember or I'll forget dates like I'm terrible with them. So um, so I do remember starting that. I think I've been doing World Village now for four years, but I was filling in for Edumon when when he would take time off. I was covering for him. So that's kind of how I got started on World Village. So tell us the origin story of you discovering KRCL before you started volunteering and then tell us how, you know, what it made you decide to pick up that phone and, and call us. You know, it, it all started, I want to say, when I was probably eight years old. I used to go to bed at night listening to the radio. And that's how I first discovered uh, Night Roots with Papa Pilgrim way back in the day in reggae music. So I used to go to bed listening to reggae music and and that was one of my just falling in love with the radio at that time. It was it was mystical and it was it was wonderful at that age just to hear this this really a different sound like reggae back then. I mean, I'm not that old, but sometimes I feel that way. But, uh, you know, eight, when I was eight years old, gosh, it was back in the 80s, early 80s. And, and uh, that kind of music wasn't as mainstream so hearing it just it, it took me away to a different place at such a young age my it just inspired my imagination and then what made you decide i'm going to reach out and what was the response when, when my father passed away probably about 12 years ago one of the things he said to me was "Stephen, live your dreams he says you, you need to like chase after your dreams and do that and so i said well one of the things that i've always wanted to do was share my passion and love of music with other audience audience members and so that was one of my first steps to picking up the phone and becoming just a volunteer is like, I, I really respected what KRCL and I really respect what KRCL is all about. And so it just motivated me to come down there and just answer phones and volunteer my time for KRCL. So how did you pitch becoming a DJ? Ha, huh. you know, um, uh, actually, uh, I, I would volunteer for Radiothon during Smile Jamaica. And, and I hit Robert up one day and I says, Robert, I have a massive amount. I've been collecting music probably since about 10, 10, 12 years old. I've been collecting music. So I told him I have a massive amount of reggae music and I would love to come down and fill in for him one day. And so he hit me up and says, hey, you want to come down and fill in for me this weekend? And I said, sure. And that's how I got started. It was, you know, much to my chagrin, it was like I, I probably made a lot of mistakes that day and I was really timid on air, kind of like voice shaking, like, hello, guys, you know, uh, can, can everybody hear me? Am I, you know, totally timid and scared. And I, I, I don't even know how many mistakes I made that day, probably a billion. 
yeah, that's how I got started. I want to know more about this massive record collection or music collection. I'm sure the medium that you uh, have it on has changed over the years, but um, tell us, kind of quantify or describe it in the different genres and the different, you know, tapes, cassettes, eight track, vinyl. You know, I have a few eight tracks. When I was young, I destroyed a lot of my parents' eight tracks because I didn't, at that point, I'm like, who the hell is ABBA, you know? And I was like, just like we, we take them out and just roll all the tape out at that young age. And oh, sacrilege. <laughs> I know, I know. I look back now and I'm like, God, maybe I shouldn't have destroyed all of those. I still have a few though. Well, the price you paid was a lifelong love of music and collecting it, it sounds like. <laughs> I, I've made up for it, I think, except I've never re, um, repurchased any ABBA. So <laughs> <laughs> they've got a new one out of here. So tell, I us, know. About you, tell us about your collection. So, uh, gosh. Um, my music collection so i have a lot of vinyl i can kind of see if i can show it a little bit back all right folks you can't see this on the zoom but it is it's kind of like some of it that looks like the old krcl library to tell you the truth <laughs> so you know some of it actually i have i have collected from the krcl when when like when kuer got rid of all their jazz vinyl i picked up some of that and so many great finds it's, it's amazing music it's just one of those lifelong uh, processes of collecting. And so every time I'm out of town or wherever I go, I'm always stopping at record stores, kind of like Robert does. We just, we kind of like record shop and um, find, probably say vinyl. I probably have close four to 500 vinyl. And then, and then on my digital library where I have all my music stored on my hard drive, which really allows me to, uh, it really helps facilitate the making of programs at home. It's so much more streamlined and easier to access music digitally versus trying to record vinyl at home. Like it's a little more tedious and painstaking. Gosh, you know, in my reggae, just on my iTunes reggae folder, I want to say I have 40,000 songs, 45,000 songs. And then, and then on world music, it's something like 15,000 songs. And it's still growing too. And then jazz, there's something probably like 20,000. I don't know. I have so much music. I I don't even touch half of it when I do all these programs. And so it, it's just so hard to ac- like to play all that music and access it when there's so much of it. Well, describe your show without naming bands. Describe your show and what you try and do on World Village. We'll name bands in a second, but do we'll first do it without the bands. The program to me is like an exotic journey. It's, it takes you around the world and you get to experience other cultures and perspectives in music. To me, that's just one of the things that I like to do when I do the program is take people on a journey and inspire the imagination through songs and music. And so sometimes like I find sometimes the more exotic music, sometimes you start to head east. North Africa has a lot of great exotic music. I mean, all of Africa does. And the world is just full of so much great music. It's it's just like, I, the listeners, I, I really like to just take them on a, on a trip and inspire the imagination. All right, now let's name names. Give us some of your classic go-tos and then maybe share some of the new stuff you've been finding in your search. Classic go-tos on World Village. I've been playing a lot of African funk and psychedelic. I really, really dig that and enjoy that. I really like to go to the Orchestra Polyrhythma, Dick Hotenew from, from Benny. And they, to me, they're just one of my favorites, psychedelic, uh, voodoo funk. 
African groups out of the 60s and 70s. And I, and I find myself mixing in a lot of their work throughout programs. What keeps me coming back is all of the great music that I discover. And like, I hear it and I think to myself, man, I really want to share this with the audience. And because finding world music is not an easy task because they're like, there's so much music out there and there's not, some music is not so good. Like for me, it's not like worthy of airplay. I, I don't want to like uh, bore people to death, you know? And um, so what keeps me coming back is, is sharing all this new music with the audience and, 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 and educating them and bring something new. Um, I think a lot of music like in America kind of all sounds the same. A lot of the time, there's just a lot of repetition in sounds. And so I, I really like to, to diversify it and mix it up a lot with the music on world village and just bring something new that nobody's ever heard before. And so that, that keeps me coming back. It's that passion and love of music that I can share with the audience. I've questioned how long I'll, I will continue to do this. And, you know, maybe one day when I'll be tired of doing this and I don't know yet, I don't know yet. I've, I don't think I've, I've hit that point yet where I'm like, uh, I think I'm, I'm finished. I, I don't, I haven't done that yet. Are you musically inclined outside of being a DJ? A little bit. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I used to play the violin when I was younger. Uh, I love, I, for a while played blues guitar. So, and then I, I, all my kids, they're, they're all trained to play piano and read music, at least sheet music. So that's something I can read sheet music. I just really can't play piano too well. So what do your family and friends have to say about you being a, a, a DJ and a music obsessive? You know, they really love it. Um, my, my family all over uh, the U.S. loves to brag about it and talk about it. And they, they play it and listen to the programs when they can stream it. And, and they just uh, are really proud of, of the work that I do. Now tell me something about yourself that you think listeners would be surprised to know. Oh, man. Well, let's see. I was thinking about this and I'm like, hmm, what do I want to divulge? I've, I've been lost in the desert one time. I got lost hiking and was scared to death. Uh, just wandered off and couldn't find my way back. I've been arrested in Mexico. For? Uh, well, uh, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, I, I learned the hard way. And uh, that, was, that was a real scary moment for me. <laughs> being pushed into a dark alley and handcuffed was not nice. All right. What? Besides music, besides KRCL, what are some of the things that uh, you enjoy doing? Well, I love hiking. Um, I, I, I love spending time outdoors. I spend a lot of time with my kids. When I have time, sometimes I'll coach various sports with my kids, like basketball or soccer. Um, I spend a lot of time reading and writing. Um, I'm, I, I spend a lot of time writing poetry, and I plan to have something published this year hopefully so we'll see how that goes well you know we do poetry still happens on radioactive you're gonna have to come on and share something then okay i'd love to uh, i've been i've been working it's more it's more in the uh, line of greek mythology um i wanted to start here and then i have all these other ideas that i'm going to start to roll out but i wanted to do this first and poetry you know it's just so condensed and refined it takes a lot of time just to write like a couple paragraphs so it's a little slower i Wish I could go faster, but I really want it to be refined and beautiful. So, Well, you said Greek mythology is part of what you're working on in your poetry, but does the music that you play, that you collect, inspire you as a poet? It does. It does. It, 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 it uh, inspires my imagination. 
Uh, Greek music, for instance, um, I'm, I'm kind of writing about the muses right now. Uh, in, in, and um, I was thinking about when I was at the Greek festival and I was listening to all the great music and dances. And I, and I thought, well, I play some of this on World Village when I do Greek music specials. And so when I think of the muses dancing, I think of this music like just some of these traditional Greek dances like the Syrtaki or the Hasafiko. And I, I think about, you know, how these dances have been around for a long time. So yeah, it does kind of interplay and ins inspire me when I write it, kind of inspires my imagination. It's just a real, real great privilege and treat to be a DJ KRCL. It's something, it's a highlight. I love it. And it's a passion. That's kind of my last question. What is the power what is the power of community radio to you? Man, you know, it is it is so powerful. The, the freedom of of being able to play music that's not commercially dictated by corporations, to have that leeway and to share that with the audience, to give them a different perspective, a different voice, to, to hear different voices. To me, that's just one of the major powers of, of community radio. Uh, and, and, and the accessibility to listeners, and anybody can listen. And, and I really love the diversity on community radio. It's just, that's just something I really love. The, the power to me of being able to inspire the imagination of listeners and, and um, inspire just, just this idea of diversity and also this, this global network that we're, we are in as this planet proverbially is shrinking. And cultures are becoming more mixed, intermixed together. Like understanding people's backgrounds and their and their cultures is a huge part of getting along on this planet. And so I believe KRCL and Community Radio has that power of bringing people together. Well, my name is Stephen Rivetti and it's World Village. And we're listening to Mi Ve Way Safe by the Orchestra Polyrhythma de Cotinu. Uh, Echoes Hypnotics on KRCL 90.9, best community radio station. Thanks for listening to Radioactive tonight. Democracy Now! coming up at 7. Thursday Night Psych with DJ Mike at 8. The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30. Check out I Don't Sound Like Nobody with Richard Parks at 1 a.m. Illustrated Blues with Jolene at 3. And then John Florence kicking off your Friday. A brand new day starts at 6 a.m. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for listening and thanks to all our guests this evening from Meet the DJ to local artists to a great conference to tell the story. Check tonight's show notes online at krcl.org for all the links and to listen and share the show.